want to welcome you again to Door Creek Online. Good to be together wherever you're at. So it's December and we have a long-standing tradition here at uh, Door Creek Church to not get crazy at Christmas time. So here's our commitment. So let's spend less on ourselves so we can give more to people in need to show God's love for all people and keep the focus where it belongs on Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of ways to extend generosity this Christmas season. Christmas stores are one. You've heard about that. You can still connect to that online under the Serve tab. Our Christmas offering, you'll hear a lot more about that, but we take an offering at Christmas time. All of it going to our partners, our partners in Rwanda, in Haiti, in Honduras, and scattered across this city and the communities around it. And so we'll be looking for that. And then, of course, December is an important month for the, for the regular giving uh, and meeting the needs of our church. So we've fallen a little behind in the fall and we need a strong December. And so even as I'm saying that and, and encouraging us to move forward in generosity, there's a few of you that are ready to throw your coffee cup at me and break your screen. Don't do that. Okay, so I get it. This is hard. No, seriously. This is hard, and there's a lot of people in our church family that are going through hard things, and you might be one of them. And you just need to know that part of the generosity that flows uh, here into Door Creek Church goes to a place called our Benevolence Fund. And that fund goes to help all kinds of people in need. And so if you've got a need or know somebody in our church family that does, please let us know because we want to help. This year, probably over $100,000 will have been given and dispersed to people in those kinds of situations. Hey, speaking about the ministries of the church, it's so easy to not only be disconnected from each other, but from all that God is doing here because we're so used to being connected in physical places like our campuses. But the uh, annual report is going to help you understand that, uh, you know, church hasn't been closed down. We have been reaching more people than ever before, and you can read all about it. And so your prayers and your service, your generous giving this last year has made a great difference. So thank you. As you see that, you just praise God for all the great things he's doing like this, you guys. Since COVID, get this, since COVID, we've had close to 19,000 different individuals, and who knows how many with them, log into one of our services online. So we're reaching more people than ever before. We just don't know that because we can't see it. And if you're one of those people, man, we're so glad that you've connected with us. We'd love to know who you are. All right, got a couple questions as we begin. The first is, why are you following Jesus? Why are you considering to follow Jesus? The second, very different, why aren't you following Jesus? Or why don't you think you could ever follow Jesus? I want you to think about those questions because they're going to pop up as we meet two crowds in John chapter 6. The first crowd I'll call the curious crowd that's following Jesus all around Galilee, chasing him all around. But they're chasing him and following him for the wrong reasons. The second crowd we can call the critical crowd. And they're made up of the religious elites, the leaders, the establishment. And man, they're full of pride and presumption. And there is just no way. They're rejecting. They're not buying in that Jesus is God's son, that he's the promised savior. No way. In fact, we've already caught up with these people who are out to take Jesus out. They want to kill him. All right. So grab your Bibles. We're in John chapter 6, verses 25 through 36. Uh, as you're turning to John 6, let me just kind of remind you where we've been. Jesus fed the 5,000. 
with the little boy's lunch, 12 baskets left over. An amazing miracle, right? The crowd's reaction is, gosh, this must be the promised prophet that Moses talks about. They're ready to make him king. Jesus withdraws to the mountain because their idea of him being a king is not at all jiving with why he came as God's promised king. And so he withdraws, the disciples get in the boat, they head towards home, Capernaum headquarters, and there's a big storm that breaks out in the middle of the lake. Jesus knows all about their storm. In fact, he's walking on the water in the midst of this just frightful experience and he calms their fears. And when he gets in the boat, John says, they went from the middle of the lake to shore in a nanosecond, just like that, faster than a speeding bullet. And so it's the next day, the crowds are looking for Jesus. They know that he didn't get in the boat with the disciples because they saw the disciples. Jesus wasn't in the boat. So they go, he's probably gone home and we think he's from Capernaum. So they got some boats and they booked up to Capernaum. That's where we meet the crowd who's following Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you get there? When did you get here? Meaning also, how did you get here? Like, what, what just happened here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you saw the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's speaking of himself. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Prove it that you're that guy. Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. So we meet up with a curious crowd who are following Jesus for the wrong reasons. He points it out. You're not following me because of the sign. You're following me because your bellies have been filled and you like that and you want more food. That's what you're all about. You're not into spiritual things. And I've come for the whole person, not just your belly. Now they miss Jesus because they're focused on the bread, on their stomachs. They'd seen something of Jesus, but they hadn't seen everything. As one scholar put it, instead of seeing in the bread... The sign, that is Jesus, they see in the sign, the bread, the bread. So the miracle was supposed to point to Jesus. And all that they can do is go, the miracle is about the bread. And I need that. And I want that. And that's awesome. Please be my meal ticket, Jesus. And so they're looking for a prophet, the Messiah. But for a different kind of Messiah. A different kind of rescue. Their agenda is very earthbound. And Jesus came not just for life here on this earth. He did. But for far 
more than that. And so they're following Jesus for what he could give them more than for Jesus himself. A meal ticket, if you will. You know, a person or thing that's a source of income. He's their meal ticket. He's their sugar daddy. He's their genie in a bottle. He's their bread machine. Now, before you're too hard on the crowd that's not catching up with who Jesus is, who got their eyes off of Jesus and focused on the bread, I probably would have done the same thing. Because, man, I'm a bread guy. I mean, bread is in my blood. Can that be? Bread is in my blood. Here's why. Because way back in Switzerland, in 1882, my great-grandfather Jacob, he started the family bakery, my mom's family. It's been in the family for five generations. Here's a picture of my grandfather. My grandfather Jacques Grossfuddy, we called him grandfather. I only met him once in my life. I was about six years of age. And I remember... He, he said, tomorrow morning, you're going to go with me and we're going to deliver bread to the cafes and the hotels. And I'm going, this is awesome. Because how he delivered bread was with a horse and a bread wagon. So it's almost, guys, like I can still hear it and smell it. The horse clippity-clocking through the cobblestone streets of Biersfelden in Basel, Switzerland, as we delivered the hot bread to the hotels and cafes. Here's a picture of my uncle in the back of the bread wagon. You can see it. I think he's selling to some, I don't know, some guy it looks like right on the street. But you'd open up, there's shelves, there's these baskets, and they're delivering the bread. So bread is, I get it, man. Bread is really, really important to my family. Here's a picture of my dad. My dad's a dental technician. My dad's dad was a carpenter. But my dad was into bread, loved bread, and used to bake bread. Here's his beautiful braided bread that he used to make for us on Sundays. So I, I probably would have missed it too. It would have been easy to do. And if we're honest, it's easy to follow Jesus for the wrong things, for the material things of today. Bread was their staple, right? It was, it was a necessary ingredient to survive in life. And so it's easy to focus on the material things and to look to Jesus just for that. He becomes my personal bread machine. The one who can fix, right, our kids, our parents, our spouse, secure our job, help us find a better one, meet our financial needs, help us secure our retirement, help us realize our dreams, fix our broken relationships, heal us, guide us, protect us. Jesus, you do all that. But Jesus says, I don't just give bread. I am the bread. I'm not the bread of heaven. I'm the true bread of heaven. The bread of heaven in the wilderness, that spoiled. It only lasted for a day. The people who all ate it, they died, he's going to go on to say. But I give bread, the bread of life that gives you life forever, fullness, satisfying life with me and God today forever. Jesus is the better bread. He's the better bread. He doesn't just give the better bread. As Mark taught us last week, he's, he's, not, he, he's not just our provider, he is our provision. So Jesus helps him out. He says, look, don't put all your effort, don't put all your hard work into the consuming of things that are not going to ultimately satisfy you here on this earth to fill you with meaning or significance or hope or happiness. Those things will spoil. They could be good things, but they're not meant to be eternal things. Seek the food that lasts. And so Jesus has their attention 
as he offers them eternal life. And they're convinced that they're going to have to work to earn it. And so you hear it in the question, verse 28, what must we do to do the works God requires? Uh, Notice their assumption, eternal life is earned by doing good works. Jesus corrects them and says, it's not about works. It's about a work of God, which isn't a work of God. It, It is a work of God, but it's faith. It's believing. That's the work of God. And he's talking all about faith in this passage. Verse 29, 35, 40, 47. We've run into it in chapter 1 and chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 5, verse 24. It's the theme of the book. These things were written, John says, chapter 20, 31. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that in believing, you might have life in his name. The witness, belief that brings life. So Jesus invites them to believe, verse 35, to come so that you'll never be hungry. But they're not, they're not buying it. They are not buying it. They want a sign. Well, well hello. Like, what just happened yesterday? Five loaves, two fish, feed 5,000 men, women, children. How many? 12 baskets left over. You want a sign? Like, what? were you sleeping yesterday? Obviously you weren't because you're coming for more bread. What do you need a new sign for? A bigger sign? Well, they want, they want this, uh, an enduring sign. Kind of a, a Moses-like sign, they figured. Although they had it wrong. It wasn't Moses, it was the father, he says. My father that gave you the bread. But they're looking for something like that. You know, something to keep going and keep giving. That was great for yesterday. But what about today and tomorrow and the next day? We'd, we'd like you to be that kind of Messiah. Every day, our own bread machine. Every day, our own ATM. Every day, our own genie in a bottle. Every day, right? our own meal ticket. So they're interested in this bread that gives life to the world. And so they say in verse 34, sir, well, give us this bread. Always give us this bread that gives life to the world. And Jesus says, verse 35, whoever comes, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Coming is believing. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So they're getting it, right? Uh Uh-uh. No, they don't get it. Verse 36, but as I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. So this is like, this is a surprise. We got to catch up with this because we call ourselves followers of Jesus. Our our, our mission is we want to see more people become devoted followers of Jesus. Now, all of a sudden we're understanding here, you can be a follower of Jesus and not believe. Let me give you five signs. They'll help you understand that you're following Jesus, but you're not truly following him in faith. All right? First, first evidence. You turn Jesus into this meal ticket, this, this bread machine, all right? That whole idea of, Jesus, you do good things for me. Uh, second, you are regularly, predominantly negative and complaining throughout life. There's, there's this scarcity in your life. You're following but you're not believing. You regularly feel dissatisfied with your life. You're always finding yourself craving for more. You're running from one thing to the next to get that high, to get that satisfaction. You're following, but you're not believing. You're looking for satisfaction in all kinds of places that have nothing to do with Jesus. Following, but not believing. You're settling for far too little. Following, but not believing. They were settling for far too little. They they just wanted bread. And Jesus came for far more than bread. 
Look, it's like they, they're, they're saying, like, could you get me that Big Mac combo at McDonald's? Yeah, that would be great. Could you get me the value basket at Culver's? Because that, that would be great, Jesus. Jesus is going, are you kidding me? That's what you want? I, I have come to give you an eternal feast. And, and your problem is you're satisfied with too little. You think your cravings are for great things? They're for small things. I have come for such greater things than the things you're longing for. C.S. Lewis picks up this very thing. You see it in this quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Oh, that was them. And it's likely us. So how do you come to faith? Verses 37 through 40 makes it clear it's a work of God. Verse 44, unless... The Father draws us, we'll, we'll never place faith in Jesus Christ. And so it's this mysterious conjoining of two important truths. It's all on God, and yet we're fully responsible to exercise our faith. It's all God's doing because the Bible says we're spiritually dead, and so we spiritually can't do anything for ourselves apart from the work of God. So he draws us. He gives us to Jesus, and Jesus says, my will is to not let go of anyone that the Father gives me. And the Father draws us through his spirit and the word and his people to understand our need for a savior, to understand that Jesus is the savior and then to place our faith, all of it, wholly on Jesus, wholly on him. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. And they weren't experiencing it and they weren't even looking for it. And I wonder how much of us are going to get to heaven one day and go, oh my word, what did I do? There was so much more for me in Christ and I squandered it on bread that spoils. So this brings us to the critical crowd. They're gathered, John says, at church. They're in the synagogue. That's what he says um, in, in the passage right here. Verse 59. So the critical crowd made up of these religious leaders won't follow Jesus. It's not that they say they're following him and they're not. No, they won't. They're rejecting him. We've already seen earlier that they are out to take him out, to kill him. So why, why do they have a problem with Jesus? Well, they have a problem with his person and with his work, his mission. He's claiming to come from heaven, that he's divine. And his work has to do with sacrifice. The language of giving his flesh for the life of the world. This, this sacrificial work. This suffering savior. They're not jiving with it. They're looking for a Messiah that's going to come in and rule. And dominate. And liberate. And free them from the tyranny of Rome. And that's what they're looking for. The here and now savior. And so uh, we notice their presumption when we catch up with what we could call the very first birther controversy, conspiracy. His claim to be God who comes down from heaven reveals their presumption because they presume to know Jesus better than Jesus. Look at verse 41. At this time, the Jews there began to grumble about him. 
because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? We know this guy from Nazareth. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? And so there's this proud presumption that they know who Jesus is. And Jesus is like a loony. And he's deranged. And he's out of his mind. And there's no way he could have come from heaven. Because we know he came from just over the hill over there. In a place called Nazareth. A backwater place. He's a nobody from nowhere. He's Joseph, Mary's son. There's no way he's divine. Not only that, they presume to know God's word. But Jesus makes it clear, they actually may be familiar with God's word, but they don't know God's voice and they don't understand what he's been saying throughout all their scriptures about Jesus. They don't get it. And so when he shows up and he talks about eating, their, eating his flesh and his blood, they're like, what is going on? Is this some crazy cannibalism? Because they're completely offended by that. But Jesus is just fulfilling what the Old Testament scriptures have talked about from the very beginning, the very first promise of a savior. In Genesis chapter three, God says to Eve that one of your descendants, one of your male descendants is gonna crush the enemy's head. But in the process, this savior is gonna have his heel bruised. Isaiah 53, he's just quoted from Isaiah 54. Just before that, we have the language of the suffering servant. This one who's gonna be despised and rejected who's going to be pierced for our transgressions, wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was going to be on him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is talking about he's coming to be the sacrifice. John tells us in verse 4 that this is all going on. The feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, this conversation right here is all right around Passover. They're supposed to be connecting the dots because Jesus is. They don't know their Old Testament. They're not connecting the dots. They're not hearing God's voice as he spoke through his word, the prophets, all of it pointing to Jesus. What was the Passover all about? It was that great Jewish feast that celebrated God's miraculous deliverance out of Egypt and slavery and their oppression for 400 years. And the night before the 10th plague, God said, listen, you need to take that lamb now that perfect spotless blameless lamb and you need to sacrifice you need to take the blood you need to take the blood you need to apply it to the the three lintels and the door, door jams of of the door so that when the angel of death coming to bring judgment comes he'll pass over your house because you bear the mark of the faithful you're taking me at my word and your eldest son will not die but not only will you need to do that with the blood you need to stand at that table and you need to eat all of that sacrificial lamb. He's talking about that, but they don't get it. They don't get it at all, and they're missing the prophets. How could this one come from, hem from heaven and come from Nazareth? Well, they should have known because Micah spoke of this very thing in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, hey, by the way, Bethlehem, Jesus' birthplace, you know what it means? Beth, house, lehem, bread. House of bread, Bethlehem, the bread of life, born in the house of bread. Isn't that awesome? Not a coincidence. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, 
Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. There's been a promise of this ruling king who's going to reign forever. 2 Samuel 7 verse 14. Whose origins are from of old. He's eternal from ancient times. Everlasting. He's the everlasting ruler. And where's he going to come from? He's going to come from Bethlehem and from ancient times. He's, he's God. He's God. He's both. But they don't get it. All they get is offense. And man, are they offended. They're shocked by his words. And it wasn't just the religious leaders. We'll see next week that even his own disciples were shocked. And if we take it literally and hear these words, we're shocked. What I'm talking about is verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I will give for the life of the world. Verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my body is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And so these are like horrific words and it sounds like cannibalism. What is Jesus talking about? Well, it's actually quite simple. He's using figurative language. He's using metaphor. We've already caught him using metaphor. I am the bread of life. He's not saying I'm a loaf of bread. I'm not the best thing since sliced bread. He's not saying I'm some unleavened bread. He's not saying I'm manna reincarnate. He's saying I'm like bread that sustains and gives life now and forever. It's a figurative language. And when he's talking about belief four times in the passage, now he's going to use a figure of speech to talk about belief. So that eating his flesh and drinking his blood is like believing. And, and you see it perfectly, the, the, the symmetry here in verses 57, 54 and 47. So notice this, 47. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. Who has eternal life? The one who believes. Now go down to 54. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Who has eternal life? The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood. The one who believes. It's the same thing. He's saying the same thing. Or as St. Augustine would say it, believe and you've eaten. Believe and you've eaten. So, speaking of eating, what kind of food are we chasing and working for to bring satisfaction and fullness do you have that kind of fullness? Or is there just a whole lot of craving and emptiness and, and wanting more? What, what are we trying to fill our lives with to satisfy? And how's that working? Because Jesus says, don't work, don't chase, don't consume your life chasing the things that cannot satisfy. Is there a chance we're following Jesus for the wrong reasons? We don't understand that he came for far more than our physical needs. Yes, for our physical needs. He cares about it. He's going to make all things right in this world. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. But fundamentally, he came for a bigger need issue that we have in our life. That's more than tomorrow's food. It's, it's our sin. And there is no way that you and I can get rid of that which condemns us and places us under God's curse and God's judgment, eternally separated from him and from the source of life that fills us with joy and pleasures forever. 
and the hope of life eternal. Is my faith connected to Jesus, his life, his work, his death, his resurrection, and in that alone? Jesus is the better bread. He's the better bread, better than the bread in the, in the wilderness, the manna. The one born in Bethlehem, the better bread. The one whose body was broken to make you whole, the better bread. The bread that gives life, sustains life. The bread that never perishes but lasts forever. The bread that brings satisfaction and fullness so that we're not chasing for things that this world cannot satisfy us with. He's the better bread, but he's only the better bread if we take it and we eat it and place all of our trust in Jesus Christ, the one who took bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Let's pray. So Lord, forgive our presumption and our pride that we would know what kind of savior we need, that we would think that we don't need a savior, that we would think that we know who you are better than who you are. Forgive us, Lord. Give us faith, Lord Jesus. Draw people young, old, people longing for more. Draw them to yourself as you say in your word, by your word, through your spirit, draw people that they might come to faith and with that find life, life eternal. Lord, we love you that the life we have in you comes through your sufferings. And we pray, Father, as we live for you, we'd be willing even willing to bear our cross that others would find new life through you. We pray all these things in Christ's name, amen.